0: Well, welcome everybody to the Right on Crime podcast featuring prosecutorial innovation in America. And actually, we're lucky today because it's our first podcast from our own studio here in Austin, Texas. My name is Kurt Altman, and I'm your host. I'm fortunate today to have with me a guest who was elected Jefferson County District Attorney in 2016. Re-elected again in 2020. And we're talking about Jefferson County, West Virginia, uh, which people might not think is that big or has many problems. But we're going to hear about the difficulties and the innovations and how my guest Matt Harvey has changed the office. Matt, thanks for coming all the way out to Austin to meet with us. Uh, I'm happy to be here, Kurt. Appreciate it. Man, it's great to have you.
1: Put you on an airplane. Brought you from Charles Town. Charlestown, not Charleston, West Virginia, which is our capital city, but Charlestown, which is five hours away from Charleston and more appropriately uh, a, a suburb of Washington, D.C. See, that's what I think people don't necessarily understand. We talk right. about West Virginia.
0: You say Jefferson County, West Virginia. They think it's maybe a small town in the middle of nowhere. But you're talking about a suburb of Washington, D.C., I imagine you have some
1: spillover of those types of problems. We do. We have a spillover of people that are moving from the city into the into the county for, for spaces, lower taxes, better quality of life if depending on what they want. And but along with that comes opportunity for crime. We have Baltimore as a supply city for a lot of our fentanyl um, issues as well as Washington DC and you know Philadelphia and New York are within four-hour drive. Um, interestingly enough, you can get to five other state capitals b- by vehicle uh, quicker than you can our own. So we're we're isolated, but yet we're connected to a lot of other regions in the United States. So with with that comes the same types of problems. You know, in, in getting ready for
0: this this uh, podcast and meeting, well, we met earlier this summer that's, uh, in that's Pennsylvania. Right. Um, but in getting ready for this, I always look for stuff on the people that I'm gonna to talk to. I do some research and uh, it was difficult to find anything bad on you, number one. I guess that's a good <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, I did find that prior to running for the district, district attorney's office, uh, you were a defense lawyer. I was. Um, tell me a little bit about your career and how it developed to get you to where you sit today.
1: Well, I, I started out early in my career as an assistant prosecuting attorney in Berkeley County, which is the, the neighboring county to Jefferson County. And also went down to Kanawha County, which is the ca- capital city of Charleston's house in that. And that's our number one and number two largest jurisdictions in West Virginia. Um, I wanted to go into private practice. I, I wanted to come back to the I'd moved to Charleston from Berkeley County. I missed the eastern panhandle, which where I would made my home and, and I wanted to come back. And I went into private practice and did that for six years. And I was frustrated. Uh, like a lot of citizens, but I was in a unique position where I could do something about it. And I had been working with one-on-one with clients to help them, not only with their legal problems, but I, I had some insight about getting getting help for their substance use disorders and, and other issues, if batters inter- intervention program. So I had a unique perspective like that. I was able to offer clients on an individualized uh, service. But as a prosecuting attorney, which is what we're called in West Virginia, by the way, um, I could address the whole s- criminal justice system.
0: So so let me get this straight. So you're a defense lawyer, which I, I still practice defense law, and you said you were frustrated. So you want to help your clients. Uh, you want to do the best they can, but you still want the right thing to happen. Absolutely. What, what caused that frustration, dealing with other prosecutors or just the system or what? What, what made you go, geez, I'm going to throw my hat in to the political ring?
1: Well, you, you know, a lot of it's being naive where you're like, I can do better. Than that person uh, and you know I always said it's, it's 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 easy to run for office it's it's harder to run an office but huh. <laughs> six years of that that's experience that's Doc. right that's right but it's been a wonderful experience but I, I saw things that I thought should be happening in the community. I thought there should have been more options, more tools in the toolbox for prosecutors. I didn't like the direction that that pro- that particular prosecutor's office was going. I was a citizen of that county. I was establishing a family. It was not some it was not something that I was proud of as a citizen. And I thought that I had the tools to fix it. And and I've been working on that very hard for the last six years.
0: Well, apparently the voters thought you had the tools to fix it, too, because they put you in office twice. And, uh, you know, hopefully that'll continue. So the culture of the office, uh, I assume, changed uh, when you came in. But yes. what were some of your priorities? Being or understanding this frustration and understanding what you saw, uh, you had to have some ideas coming in on what you wanted to see happen with the office.
1: Well, in 2016, the overarching um, issue was the heroin epidemic, which is still, it's, as, it's worse than it was back then. We, we talked before we did this podcast
0: and you gave me a statistic that was remarkable to me. What was it about heroin and, and drugs?
1: Well, it, well it's, it's fentanyl. Which it's, is a form of heroin, right? It is, but but it, it's it's different in that it's more concentrated, and it is being used as the base of most of our drugs that are out there on the streets, including what people might think is a Xanax or some or something that's not even related to that class of drugs, and and e- even in your edibles with marijuana, it, there could be fentanyl in there, but the concentration of fentanyl. It doesn't take hardly any to cause a lethal reaction, whereas heroin um, being less potent, you didn't have the fatalities that you do now. And and it's the number one cause of death from 19 to 20, uh, 45 year olds. That's amazing. In
0: America? In America, yes. The, and, the, remarkable. So you come in office in 2016 and it's heroin. And you're like, correct. listen, we have a heroin problem here because we're basically a suburb of Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and some other big... Uh, cities where I imagine most of that was being generated and brought from. Yes. Uh, what did you see happening, and what did you try to do differently? I mean, do we lock heroin users up? What do we do?
1: Sometimes, but more importantly was to develop tools to put in that toolbox. And I've used this analogy many times is if a carpenter, show, if you hired a contractor to come to your house and add addition onto your room, and they show up with just a hammer, you're probably going to think twice about hiring that contractor. You, you want a contractor Hopefully. that has, you know, all, all the tools necessary. One that you may, you know, a miter saw, you don't use it, might not use every day, but you need to have it available for when you do need it. I, I see the criminal justice system in a lot of ways that we need to have more options available to help prosecutors do their duty. And the citizens deserve that. So we need more options.
0: So you said do their duty. I mean, what what is the prosecutor's duty in your view? I mean, I think if I went out on the street, uh, maybe not here in Austin, but uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I live, and I said, hey, what's a prosecutor supposed to do? I bet you eight to ten, seven to ten would say you're supposed to lock up the bad guy for as long as possible. Is
1: that what the prosecutor's duty is? It is to protect society. And if someone is so dangerous to society that they cannot operate you know without intervention then th- yes, they need to be locked up but however there's that's the most extreme example. there are so much other things and, and circumstances um, you know, people have a healthy sense of justice, especially when when they're the victim and that's a normal way to act and that's an appropriate way to react you want you want retribution you want something to happen to the person that has aggrieved you because we've given that power over to our government. To, to, to They have a monopoly on the criminal justice system. And so it's, it's frustrating for victims when they don't get that result. But again, you got to, if locking up people was the answer, we wouldn't have these problems now. It's been the war on drugs and, and other issues where you're just spending money We're a trillion dollars in on the war on drugs. Drugs are more prevalent. They're higher potency, and more people are dying from them. So, as a prosecutor, as an elected prosecutor who answers to
0: the people, uh, is, you know, has the duty to keep the people safe. I mean, what are you trying to change? What's the answer? Is it a simple answer? Because I'll tell you, I'll preface that with I talk to lawmakers all the time, and, and I often get um, reactions where it's just a simple solution. It's a 20-second soundbite. You know, tougher sentences. Uh, more laws. Uh, is that the answer? I mean, what are you trying to do as a prosecutor and what can you do as a prosecutor?
1: Well, I, I, in, in in Jefferson County, what we try to do is we try to intervene earlier in the process before they get to the level where they're committing felonies to support their habits. And we want to intervene when they're committing shopliftings, driving while intoxicated, uh, domestic issues that arise. Those are those in West Virginia are are misdemeanors and those are golden opportunities to get someone early in their in the process um, and direct them to resources so they don't come back. That's the ultimate goal of of the criminal justice system is to is to protect society, number one, and then rehabilitate people enough that they're not going to commit further crime. So I basically put yourself out of a job if you could. I would love to put myself out of a
0: job. Um, You know, we talked before uh, this about some of the things in your office and you you, uh, stressed a lot about victims. I mean, we're talking about what we should do with offenders, but victims uh, are are part of the system and a very important part of the system, too. Um, Tell me a little bit, tell our listeners or our watchers a little bit about uh, how you involve victims in your office, uh, not with the prosecution, but how you keep them involved in a case that they may have unfortunately been part of. And something super simple that you told me about, tell our viewers uh, what you
1: do to keep them notified and involved, what the system is. Yeah, well, well, first of all, what we did was we expanded our victim's advocates from from two to four. And in Jefferson County, this, the size of the jurisdiction that is, that's, that's a tremendous uh, asset that we've had and tremendous coverage. So we're able to give a lot of one-on-one and individualized um, advocacy to the victims, uh, even though the victim advocates technically work in the office of the Jefferson County prosecuting attorney, they're not a go-between or just someone to deliver bad news to victims. They're to get to know the victims and advocate on their behalf. It's in the, the title of their <laughs> of their job description to, to advocate on their behalf. So if if they think that we're doing something incorrect in a the case, they have the freedom to tell us, hey, the victim really you know wants this and. And not the other way around where they're just to kind of control the victims on our behalf. So I, I think that 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 framework and that dynamic at the beginning is important to have a successful program. Um, we one of the victim advocates that we have now is speaks Spanish. She was a Spanish interpreter. and so we're able to hit a a, a section of the community which Jefferson County has the the largest population of Hispanic. Uh, speakers in West Virginia, being that close to Northern Virginia and DC, um, it, it's a, a significant population that was underserved, and so we have we have now two Spanish speakers in our office that are fluent enough that we could communicate that, and that's very helpful to us. But one of the, the the simple thing that you were talking about is we're communicating with victims <laughs> in in a modern way. Well, uh, we used to just. C- cut and paste letters with their and input their court dates and mail it to them well that a mailbox is so inefficient nowadays and isn't he, a mailbox that little thing on your computer well these yeah, days? yeah
0: yeah 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 this you're, is the second time in one of these someone's talked about how mailboxes uh, have changed so i get that they
1: have and and you know um we we now text them we have a service like like much like when you go to a doctor's office and they text you a reminder of your appointment. We do that now with victims, and the success rate and the interaction rate is better than I was expecting. And it, it solves so many problems. And you, you may have a victim who is mobile because they're trying to remove themselves from a dangerous situation. So if they leave a marital home and the letter with the court dates goes and the fender's still there, but they went to their aunt's house. They you, don't get it. They the don't get it. Gets it. They don't the defender gets it and discards it in the trash. They, they don't they don't show up for court the first hearing and the, the public defender or the defense attorney is saying, dismiss the case, dismiss the case. But it, it, it deprives the victim of the opportunity to have input in their case. They won't always choose to have that, but they should have the opportunity to do so. We use it to push out important information about the the ability to file a claim under the a victim's rights or victim's crime compensation fund. And we also have a landing page that we push out to them where they can access important information. So this is all over text message.
0: Everybody's got a phone these days.
1: It, it, it's text message. And then it will also default to an email if that if it doesn't go through. And then it will go to a robocall. And then if that doesn't work, then we're going to we're going to print a letter and mail it to them or send or ask the arresting officer or, or our investigator to go find that person just to make sure we put a we we offer them the ability to have input. Sounds like technology um,
0: would cost a little money to an office. You talked about running an office. Easy to run for office, tough to run an office. I mean, w- w- does it save you money? Does it cost you money? I mean, h- how can you implement something like this in a smaller county in West Virginia? It, I know it's one of the bigger counties in West Virginia. But it's but a, but a small, small
1: county, county, relatively speaking. Yes, it costs... It costs the office about two hundred and eight dollars a month to do this. So what we're saving is we're saving toner cost, paper cost, employee cost of the re- of the time that they would have taken to cut and paste and make all these letters and answer the phone. They're now they're now in the in the courtroom. Seems like a simple system that you know a lot of offices
0: uh, around the country could use. Um, you know. I imagine you wouldn't be doing it if it didn't help the victim input and the contact and have have more relations with the victim. We talked a little bit earlier about getting to offenders early in their what I'll call criminal behavior to try to stop them, to try to make sure that.
1: Can I go back to a point on that? Of before. course you can. Yes. This is about you. Well, the the prosecutors, are. this is probably the most important thing that the prosecutors want to hear. Um, you could it will tell you if the text messages have been read. Oh, okay. So you, it keeps a list of all the the messages that go out and the success rate of whether they were delivered and opened. So if you go to court and a victim comes in and says I didn't know about this, you've got you've got an audit trail right there that you can tell your look at your judge or you can look at defense attorney or or, or anybody else and say well, we we tried, you knew and um you know, here's the proof of that. You don't have that with paper letters. It seems like there'd be more
0: victim involvement then. And and you were talking earlier, like I said, about the offenders and and trying to, for lack of a better word, divert them to get them on the right track so they don't come back. It seems to me that some of that effort would be in conflict or at least like tension with some of the victim's wishes. How do you deal with that? Like, that's what people don't think about.
1: Right, right. Well, (laughs) In West Virginia, it's the state of West Virginia versus the defendant. And, you know, technically we, we aren't we do not represent the victims in a personal capacity. Um, so there are times when we have to make decisions that upset them or, or it wasn't it wouldn't be the way that they would resolve the case. You know, maybe they want 10 years on a on a case that only carries it's a misdemeanor, and only carries a year. <laughs> so I, in, in involving them early and engaging them. Helps that further understanding and they at the end of the day They may not like a decision that a prosecutor makes in a case Maybe there's a problem with the evidence maybe other critical witnesses disappear and you have to make a tough decision in the case, but having been engaged early And listened to they're going to be more understanding of the ultimate disposition in the case
0: I mean when you're ultimately looking for a disposition in any case in your office you know, I think this is probably the same in, in most offices, at least I hope so. But, like, what are, what are you looking to do? You had said something earlier to me uh, about wins and losses at trials. And, and, you know, prosecutors like to do trials. At least that's what you think you like to do when right. you become a prosecutor, right? You're like, I'm going to do it. Isn't yeah, it? Um, absolutely. It's and, and, you know, trials are won or lost. But w- you told me something pretty interesting earlier about what you've changed in that fashion in your office once you tell our viewers about that yeah
1: i i I don't i I correct myself and the assistant prosecutors in the office when when they say they won or lost a trial i want to ban that language from from our office we 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 don't win or lose trials we get verdicts and it's probably to the average person that's probably not a big deal but it's so subtle but it it sets your track. Trajectory from the beginning. And if you're a degree off and you go 10 years, how many, you know, that adds up. So you're way off by the end of that. So we're, we're focused on seeking truth and making sure the process is correct, which is also a requirement of, of the prosecutors in this country, is that we're kind of overseers of the process as well, and more so than defense attorneys. And if, we're, if we, we incentivize wins and losses, or you got to have an ex conviction rate to get your bone or not bonus, but to get promoted and to make section chief—well, that opens up to some of the messy problems that we've seen with prosecutors across this country that have cut corners, withheld evidence, which is the greatest mis- miscarriage of justice you can imagine, is a prosecutor withholding exculpatory evidence.
0: Yeah, I mean— I say, and this gives me an opportunity to to use my uh, little quirks. I teach law school uh, and and I tell my students, I'm like, I teach a lot of criminal law classes and I usually have half the room as people that want to be defense lawyers for whatever reason, half the room that wants to be prosecutors. And and it sounds to me like you agree with this, that the prosecutor is the only position in the system that not only... um, has a requirement or has the obligation to do the right thing, but they're really the only ones that always can, in my view, because like you said, even more so than a defense attorney. The right. defense attorney's got to look out for their client to the best of their ability. The judge, you know, might be bound by certain laws or certain yeah. mandatory minimums or certain things that once they get to that point that the judge has to follow. But the prosecutor really has that discretion and ability to always do the right thing with the victim in mind, with the offender in mind, with society in mind. Um, I take it you'd agree with that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's,
0: I think that's well said. Um, with all of that in mind and, and the, the fentanyl issue, um, heroin turned into fentanyl, uh, what are you trying to implement in Jefferson County under your watch uh, to try to address that? And, and you know, keep the right people behind bars because I think we'd agree some people need to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A- a- and try to ensure that the people that maybe can use an alternative type of diversion or system uh, get themselves better and stay out of the system. Or uh,
1: What are you looking to do and, and who needs to buy in? Well... Everybody needs to buy in and, and very fortunate in Jefferson County. We have buy in from our judges and our local defense bar. And we have some some really good support services for the criminal justice system in Jefferson County that have buy in. I, I think going, you know, going down the road, what can we do better? And we need to create more partnerships with with organizations that can offer support to people, victims, defendants, um, on reentry programs coming back into society, we need to we need to grab a hold of that's when people are the most vulnerable and they need the most help in and reestablish themselves and find employment opportunities.
0: So you said something there that, that's also close to <coughs> my heart, like reentry programs. Uh by that you mean somebody goes to jail or prison. They're getting out, right? Ninety five percent of the people Absolutely, are getting out. Yes. Uh and how can a prosecutor help that reentry? Like, like, and, and you might not be doing it yet, but in your view, what can a prosecutor do? Because I know that now, often, it depends on the state and the system, you're just released. And you're expected to follow all these requirements. You're expected to get a job. You're expected to have some place to live. And it's a lot
1: easier to be in jail than out sometimes. I, I don't have a great answer for that. That's something that I'm still exploring beyond working with some, some social organizations that want to serve that population and supporting them and give, offering them information to help them do their job and connect and make connections. But once they're sentenced, we're really, the prosecutor's office is really taken out of it. And it's a department of corrections at that point. But you think they have to be taken out of it. I know the department of corrections
0: handles the inmates when they're in. um, But do you, and I think the answer to this would be yes, but do you see opportunity for prosecutors in offices like yours and others to be more involved with reentry and, and maybe uh, religious um, organizations, yeah. social organizations, and work in some sort of, I don't know, coalitions to help folks when they get out so they don't go back? Because what's our long-term goal?
1: Stop crime, right? That's right. I, I think that's the, the next area of innovation that prosecutors can really – make some efforts and have a tremendous amount of success in because they we clearly should be involved more than likely they're coming back to the community that they harmed and they're going to we're going to who knows them better than the, than the prosecutor's office how many this is funny i ask
0: everybody this how many of your assistants uh do you think have been to a jail or a prison
1: It's not a trick question. So. I would say <laughs> uh, probably all of them at one. P- it's a small office. Um, pro- most of them. Yeah, I think it's important,
0: right? You yeah. were a defense
1: lawyer, so you obviously spent some time. I spent some time there. Um, and w- now I say that because our, our regional jail is 15 minutes away. We have uh, sometimes go there to interview uh, witnesses in cases, and they're, they happen to be incarcerated. So that that part of it, which is the outer waiting area, most of them have been in. Yeah, I think it's important, and, and it's funny how many people I run into
0: that are prosecutors that have never been and don't have no idea what happens uh, when they go there. Just an aside, one of one of my issues again, but it's good. It's,
1: it's important, it, yes. yeah. It's
0: important because you have to know because it's human beings inside there, yes. right?
1: Now, as a defense attorney, you spent a lot of time there, yeah, and you you would be you uh, know <laughs> in one of your the lawyer. Uh, client conference rooms and you're like oh no the jail's going down it was going under a lockdown so you're like i got court i can't i can't be you know <laughs> right. i need to get there and get out of here right yeah like, sorry yeah. we can't let you out we're under lockdown
0: it's an interesting experience and i, I you know i think the more knowledge that gets out there to folks in the criminal justice system and how it works you know the
1: better you know we've talked uh, uh, it humanizes the defendant. Humans? You mean defendants it, are human? It, it, yeah. You have to set in a. You have to. You have to be locked. You have to. You're locked in a room with this person who's done X, Y, or Z. Some of it very violent. Some of it just dumb. Uh, but you're locked in a room with them, and that's pretty unnerving the first couple times that you do it. And but you learn so much about the person, and they have a family, and a lot most a lot of them have kids, and they. They they really don't want to be here, but they've made a series of bad decisions and their life spiraled out of control, and they don't have, you know, they didn't have the social network that you, you had. And you look at them like, I, that could have been me. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean,
0: I think you're not the first person that said that this is a human business, uh, you, you know, and criminal justice system is human. It's humans on all sides. I want to change gears real quick before uh, we end. You know, you're trying to do things. You're trying to keep uh, jail populations down so that only the right people are in there. You're trying to make sure people don't come back uh, to the criminal justice system. You're trying to make sure victims are involved to the extent Absolutely. that they can be. Um, how is what you're doing? different than the stuff we hear all over the news about prosecutors that are reformers, which we both talked about how we don't love that word. You know, the folks um, in California and maybe Pennsylvania areas that aren't prosecuting crimes and like, like, how do you separate yourself from them and not get lumped into that?
1: Well, it's, it's not a distant issue for me. The county next to me is Loudoun County, Virginia, and they have a, uh, the Commonwealth, they call Commonwealth attorneys in that state. And she has made a stand where she's not going to prosecute certain classes of crimes. And I, that is not something that I believe is appropriate for a prosecutor. Well, I mean, why not? I mean, if there's
0: petty crimes, why are we
1: wasting our time with them? Well, there's a lot of good reasons that, that we shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, and, and this is the, the, what I call the three eyes the three of harm, and that's the, the, the immediate harm which is you're ignoring a class of crimes. You're ignoring a victim of a crime um, by not prosecuting those crimes, retail theft, uh, drug, drug possessions, whatever the crime is. The intermediate is you're, you're taking away potential services to the defendant, the person that you're trying to help by not prosecuting that crime. you the prosecutor's office is such a touch point. You're, you're missing a, a valuable, valuable chance to divert that person in, into the proper services with leverage that their family doesn't have or their lawyer doesn't have. Prosecutor has a lot more leverage to, you know, you don't have to hit the bottom always, but you can see the light on the way down. Prosecutors can offer that. And to then- use that leverage for good to hopefully- Absolutely, absolutely the long term, to protect society, to protect the people that put you in office. And then third is the indefinite harm. The rule of law is just would crumble if prosecutors who are looked at in the community to enforce the laws, um, you swore to take a swore an oath to the to abide by the Constitution and violates the separation of powers by saying, you know, I know that all these legislatures, they, they compromise and they crack, cobbled this bill together and it went through. They had experts come in and testify and they examine this and that. And, and here's what they came up with. And they're the ones that are supposed to, to criminalize behavior. And but you know what? They don't know what they're talking about. I'm not going to I'm not going to do my job. It, it, it erodes the fundamental foundation of our government. And who why would anybody else follow the law after that?
0: The three I's, clearly a trial lawyer. If you're having acronyms and three (laughs) I's that mean things, we've done those in in front of jurors. Uh, It sticks. I think the three I's are important. You know, we're probably getting towards the end of this. Uh, We could go on forever. I mean, we talked for an hour, hour and a half beforehand. There's a bunch of stuff. So one, I hope you do this again when good things happen in Jefferson County and uh, we can promote that and and show what you're doing there. Um, And two... Uh, tell us an interesting tidbit about Jefferson County or maybe Charlestown.
1: Well, I, I, the, the interesting thing about Jefferson County is, in my estimation, is it's home to uh, George Washington's brothers. And in fact, the first piece of property that George Washington ever bought was in Jefferson County. He came out there to uh, survey for Lord Fairfax and noticed that it was you know, really, really uh, fertile farmland. And his brothers followed, and they established several residents there. And I, I think the tidbit that you probably want to hear is that there is a, a, a Washington mansion that's still in the the Washington family, owned by the great 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 how many ever greats it is, grand <laughs> of George Washington, who who didn't have children of his own. So uh. it's the closest living this, you know relative of George Washington, who still live still lives in a Washington home. In so, Jefferson County. So
0: when we get to visit Jefferson County, we'll be able to see stuff like
1: that. Absolutely. That's absolutely. Great.
0: Well, uh, the Honorable Matt Harvey, I want to thank you uh, very much for coming all the way to Austin uh, to talk thank to you. us. And again, I want to be able to do this again. Uh, I want to thank everybody um, that's watching for joining us. And if you want to learn more about Right on Crime and our prosecutorial innovation uh, program, go to RightOnCrime.com. It's www rightoncrime.com and hopefully we're going to do one of these again soon we're going to have uh matt harvey back and we're going to continue uh to spread the good word about what guys like matt are doing out
1: there thanks for being with us